Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, April 1st, 2022, April Fool's Day. Um, joining, for, uh, joining me for today's podcast is tech journalism's dynamic duo. I can't say three because our third party is on, um, he's got some personal conflicts. It's Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. Rob Pegarero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, USA Today. And as I mentioned before, John Quain is out. He's got some personal stuff he's got to take care of. But uh, anyway... Uh, gentlemen, good afternoon. How's your week going? And any plans for the weekend? Uh, final fours, women and men. Hey, I'm awesome to see family, so that's exciting. That's good. Now, I, now, Stuart, I know you'll be at opening day next week, right? Yeah. Robbie, you, do you have? Uh, yeah, when I was going to say, day? if we're going to do this podcast next Thursday, we're going to have to do it early because it's a 405 uh, first pitch at Nats Park, and I do want to be in the stands for that. <laughs> well, I'll talk to my producer, but I'm sure we can accommodate. <laughs> colors. Hey, listen, I, and I'm not, I didn't put it as a separate topic because I, with the, the, the three of us could probably talk about this for four hours. I have to get your opinion on what your view on the slap was. And did you, and did you watch it? I watched it live with complete shock. And I almost knew immediately it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a stunt because ABC turned off the audio and you can see people's mouths move. I, I'm sure there was a producer's head that was exploding off camera. But, Stuart, I'd love to get your view. On well, I think it was very interesting because I was watching it live and the cutaway was really interesting for long periods. And, of course, it wasn't covered like a news thing. But I think the most interesting thing was that it was uncensored in a lot of other places around the world, like Australia. And almost as soon as it happened, yeah. from a tech pure tech point of view... A guy from Australia, you know, I must have been DVRing it, recorded it and sent it out the live, what actually happened live for the world to see almost instantaneously. So the conversation because of tech started right away, right after it happened and dispelled the whole thing that it was a setup. Um, Besides the fact that how how would anybody know that she was going to come without a wig or something? So it couldn't have been a setup. Um, but I, it was shocking that it was not censored. I think I don't think it was censored in Japan and certainly not Australia. And so the word got out very, very quickly about what was actually said and how often it was said. So there is a tech aspect for, from this topic based on the fact that even ABC could not censor the material. Right. I mean, essentially, that's what you're saying. Well, they did, um, but they, but they like couldn't. They did, but they didn't succeed. They didn't God. succeed. Uh, Rob, your thoughts? What were any? Uh, I have none. I did not actually watch the Oscars. I, if you must know, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons online with friends. <laughs> I have not watched it since. I have zero interest in this. Uh, you know, I think people should not hit hit each other, hit other people, unless I guess they really deserve it. Uh, but really, I don't care, and I am so happy I did not write a single word about this ridiculous waste of everyone's mental processor cycles. <laughs> Well, when one of you win the Pulitzer Prize, I'm going to be in the It'll audience. Be a while. <laughs> Maybe in my next life. Yeah. The only thing I'll say about this, and then, I, then we're going to the next topic, is that 
on the on the scale, the Richter scale of offensive jokes, one to a hundred, hundred meaning that you you know you really should hang the person versus one which come on, please, that's not like a knock knock joke. This was probably a six, maybe. And if Don Rickles was alive today, right. they, they they would have to put him in jail. Don he, Rickles he, wouldn't he, have a career today. <laughs> Funniest guy I ever saw alive. Anyway, yeah, no, I would. I listen. That we could have a separate podcast on Rickles because. I adored Rickles, and I maybe yeah. I shouldn't say that because it's not politically correct. But uh, me too. He's a good guy. I adored Rickles also. Let us hit the first topic, and um, got to get your opinion on this because it was a pretty big week in uh, the uh, PC space. You know, Intel finally unveiled its Arc brand of discrete graphics. Very, very, you know, for the um, mainstream user, it may not be quite as apparent, but you know, the the um, the PC space has really been controlled by two companies, really NVIDIA and AMD for years and years and years. Uh, Intel really had the processor side of the business and they still do a, a very commanding share of the, of the traditional processor business. They have chipsets and things like that with embedded graphics, but uh, you know, this is a big deal for them, you know, and uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting capabilities that they're bringing to market. Um, chiefly, which is a feature called deep link, which uses the, um, the, uh, the, the uh, accompanying processor, like a, an older Lake uh, processor, to leverage some of the uh, AI and smart capabilities to make the uh, both solutions work in tandem. This is a very high-level uh, description in a much more efficient, optimized way. But, um, Stuart, you know, I know, you, uh, you know you've got a bit of a PC background, I should say. What did you think of the announcement, and you, do you believe that Intel is going to have some success in the area? Well, like, like Rob's opinion on the Oscars, I, I have very little – I am not a gamer – and so this, the whole graphic side of the PC business has very little interest to me as a mainstream topic. However, two aspects of this did intrigue me. The first is the potential boost that this gives to AV1, which is, which is widely, uh, has been widely applied. Most hardware manufacturers use AV1, the compression standard, the codec, um, that is the open standards from AOM on um, and, but it really hasn't gotten a lot of traction amongst, uh, people who create content, video content. So this may actually give it a boost versus HEVC, which has been widely adopted as the next generation after H.264 as the premier or standardized codec. So the boost that this will give to AV1, I think is somewhat significant. The second thing. Let me, let me just jump in for a second, uh, Stuart. Though. But the thing, the, and that's the thing that, and it's not your fault because you're a good guy. There's this a, a bit of a misperception that graphics is only a gamer uh, type of application. Oh no, no, no! I'm not. I'm not saying oh, it yeah. is. That it isn't. It's just of little interest to me. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And okay. and the and, and the primary part of their presentation was on gaming. I understand that it has broader applications, which is what I'm going to get to the second part. The second part that intrigued me was the Peter Jackson part of it, which was the ability to upgrade old video the way Peter Jackson has with uh, the World War I film that he did and with, and with Get Back slash Let It Be. I have a friend of mine right now who's doing me a huge solid by transferring tapes that old, old uh, home movies that I had on VHS, uh, High 8, um, um, and and DV into di into into digital video, and of course the quality is awful. And knowing that the technology that this chip or this process 
will enable me to fix up that video is enormously intriguing. There are any numbers of businesses such as Legacy Box, which will probably make huge use of this as well to re to bring back old memories and bring them a tremendous um, advance at, for mainstream consumers. Right. And I believe, and I, and that's really what I was trying to get at is that the, the upscaling, the video optimization uh, potential with, with, with uh, their technology, especially marrying it with the processor from a, from a, um, is a, is a, is a big, big deal. And, um, they didn't show it. I don't believe they showed it during they their did, announcement. They showed, video. they showed it. They showed a couple of minutes of it. So they yeah, did, I mean, it will revitalize old TV shows, you know. Yeah. I mean, and stuff that's oh, yeah. old videotape. So yeah. um, me, me, the uh, entertainment channel will be able to revitalize a lot of the old Perry Mason episodes, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Rob, any thoughts? So the thing I was really hoping to find out from this 19-minute presentation was. Will this thing let me play Flight Simulator on a laptop that isn't some, you know, 10-pound gaming laptop? That I, I would like to find out. And so yes. I'll have to see. And it is obviously on laptops now. There's that Samsung Galaxy book that's shipping with this thing. So I guess this is another thing I've got to factor in whenever I replace the uh, well-maintained 2017 vintage uh, HP I have. Well, you know, it's interesting is that there's multiple iterations of their uh, of their processors that you that take advantage of um, GP, uh, CPUs with more wa uh, more power, more watts, and uh, the desktop versions won't be won't be available till later in the year, which is where gamers are probably going to migrate. Although there are very beefy laptops that use high end uh, discrete graphics as well, and uh, you know, I, I I suspect very strongly, Rob, that the flight simulator will be one of those applications that will get the, because it's, you know, a, a really good desktop um, showing off playing the latest version of flight simulator with the, which they just refreshed about a year ago, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. It and really it's really very cool. The machine, they can play yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, I suspect it'll be one of those applications on there that, uh, because it just shows off graphics in a very um, compelling type of way. So in any event, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's a big deal. Um, I'll just conclude this with saying that, you know, it was interesting during the briefing that I got earlier in the week. And then uh, they didn't really talk about it too much during the, uh, the, the 19 minute um, uh, briefing on uh, or the review on, on Wednesday. They didn't really they were Intel was very mum on, on benchmarks. You know, they didn't say, hey, you know, our, the Series A is going to perform X against the NVIDIA XXX or the AMD Radeon XXX. And I think they did that for good reason because they want the benchmarks that will inevitably come out from Tom's Hardware Guide and you know all the other publications, The Verge, et cetera, et cetera. They really want those numbers to speak for themselves. You know, unlike what happened a few weeks ago, where you know Apple's still getting pummeled, you know, a bit for you know misleading representation of their comparison with M1 Ultra versus the uh, the Nvidia. I think it was the 3090, if I'm not um, mistaken. So. You know, I'm I'm hoping that uh, you know, hoping that uh, the uh, the the ultimate graphics performance will live up to the potential of uh, this new entrance to the market. So it's going to be interesting. Going to be interesting. Let us hit the next topic here, and that is there we go. This is going to be a fun one. Got to start with Rob on this. Uh, <laughs> I have to chuckle when I uh, when I just reading the headline. Meta hires a firm publicly to malign TikTok, and they were accusing TikTok of the same. Same behavior. So, uh, Rob, this is a softball right down the middle of the plate. Go ahead. 
There's a great piece in the Washington Post by Drew Harwell and Taylor Lorenz about how Facebook and their continuing attempt to, uh, you know, win friends and influence people in Washington hired the uh, Republican leaning firm targeted victory to uh, trash talk TikTok and get people to think of, oh, this is the social media company you can't really trust that there's. And it was pushing up all these fake stories you've seen about, oh, TikTok is getting teens to do this horrible thing and that horrible thing and the other horrible thing, all of which were basically urban legends, not that different from the kind of things that you know, probably our parents worried about in prior decades. Uh, the, the cherry on this particular Sunday came just yesterday when Facebook revealed that, oops, we had a bug in the newsfeed ranking that instead of suppressing toxic content and misinformation was amplifying it for six months. So the very things that Facebook was trying to get people worried were happening at TikTok were actually happening at Facebook. So great job, guys. Um, you know, I uh, hope you consider that money well spent. You know, it just makes the, the it, 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 I, you know, when I hear, hear stories and read about stories like this, I'm just like, I just can't, I can't get, I don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. But <laughs> when you've got the kind of dollars and resources that Meta has, there's always a temptation and, and they'll find a way to rationalize rationalizes behavior you know i mean it's just you know not a good look for um mr z um stewart yep. your thoughts i it human behavior never ceases to amaze me um the fact that the rumors the um um, the devious licks, which was to vandalize schools and to slap a teacher. These all started on Facebook and then they <laughs> turned around and started blaming it on TikTok. I, I can't tell you how many stories. I mean, this was, this was an effective campaign because all you heard on the local news and even some national programs was this story that TikTok was harming children. This made a huge amount of rounds. I heard it on numerous occasions. And it, it, I, every time I heard it, I kind of scrunched up my eyes and went, you want to give us some examples of this? Because all they were were very amorphous stories and they all seemed to be happening, came out of nowhere and seemed to be happening at the same time. And I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Facebook. So, you know, another thing I really just don't care about um, from at least from a user point of view. But this whole thing smelled to me from the very beginning, since I know that TikTok had been trying to dig itself out of the negative publicity it was getting. And so this comes to me almost as a not as not that much of a shock, but it's still the chutzpah is Unreal. It, you were talking about scales of one to a hundred. This is a hundred and twenty chutzpah. Just before, just to, before we leave and go, hit the next topic, how do you stop? Can you stop it? I mean, can you stop this kind of stuff from happening? Well, this is a discussion that's been going back for, for, for a couple of years already. And the problem is those algorithms and whether or not Congress can step in and do something to regulate what algorithms can do. I think the entire problem, other than the lack of curation uh, of users, uh, is are these algorithms. That's what's really doing the bulk of the damage in my eye. Rob? Well, that's the point I've seen multiple stages uh, Facebook whistleblower for this how we can make, which is that Facebook's problem is they keep pushing groups, which, you know, everyone does it right now. I can't figure out how to get the Twitter app on my iPad to stop telling me to open a community. I don't want to, I don't need to recreate Usenet. Leave me alone. 
and so Facebook keeps pushing groups suggesting this and that, which are, you know, harder to police and really take Facebook away from what it does well, which is let people look at pictures of uh, kids and pets That's and, and yeah. food. It's really all I need. The rest of it, I could take it or leave it. Uh, but everyone's got to have their engagement. And we should not forget, you know, yeah, TikTok, there are issues we should look at. Certainly the, the ownership of it by a Chinese company that is probably in limited uh, ability to say no to the Chinese Communist Party on issues of national security. It's algorithm may or may not serve up great stuff. I should note, I have a TikTok account. I haven't actually opened the account in uh, like at least a month. And fortunately for everyone, I have not posted anything on TikTok. Right. No one needs to hear me sing. <laughs> what about dance? Um, even less. <laughs> now, Rob's the type of guy that when he goes to McDonald's, he takes a picture of his hamburger and puts it on Facebook. <laughs> McDonald's, no, but maybe uh, maybe when if it's the right In and Out Burger, perhaps. In and Out Burger. I was about In-N-Out to see Burger, In and Out Burger next to LAX, and there's a picture of a plane landing in the background. Then I'll post a picture of a, of a fast food burger. I have a T-shirt. I have that T-shirt. Yep. That would, be, that would be interesting. Let's hit the next topic here. Um, this is interesting. It kind of hit me at home because, you know, I live at a place called Centeno Row in San Jose, and there's an Amazon store directly across the street from my building. It's been there for, you know, as long as the – it was one of the first uh, stores that popped up. And I never bought a th- single thing there, but I would return stuff all the time there. It was the, the ultimate inconvenience. So – I mean, for me, it's going to be an inconvenience. Now i got to go find a place like a Kohl's or the other uh, lockers or the other places that Amazon has um, in place. But what are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you think Amazon views this as a failure that they, they couldn't get these brick and they couldn't rationalize these brick and mortar stores? Sorry? It's interesting in D.C., you know, they, they had a very prominent location right on M Street in Georgetown, really expensive property, took forever to open. And, you know, I, I stopped by there a couple of times. I, I didn't actually buy anything because getting to Georgetown, parking is a pain. Uh, yeah, if you're going to bike there, you've got an uphill ride to get back to my house. Um, but it, it seemed to be well populated. Lots of people streaming by because newsflash, people like browsing bookstores. And now that is closing. And the I, I trust the remaining indie bookstores in D.C., like Politics and Prose uh, and Kramer Books or whatever, are going to do a little down dance on the grave of this retail property. But of course, Amazon still does have their, uh, their just walk out stores. They're opening one uh, near their HQ2 property in Crystal City here in Arlington. And they've got a few mm-hmm. others. So they're still doing that. But, but yeah, it's a reminder that Amazon is not, in fact, omnipotent or unstoppable. Some things it's just not that good at. Right. Well, hey, retail is a tough business. Margins are tough. You know, the, uh, you know that's the, the fascinating thing that I think most people who are not in the technology industry or the, the, the retail industry or, the, or consumer products for that matter, they don't understand the challenges that retail has. Everybody wants to sell at retail. And I think to your point, Rob, I think uh, the, uh, their experience with brick and mortar, that even the vaunted Amazon engine, which, you know, seemingly could, can't fail at anything, uh, you know, we're talking, talking about 84 stores, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't a humongous number, but um, but I nevertheless, think 68. I think it was 68. Well, I mean, again, that's not a big number. I mean, number. That's, that's not, not even two, two stores a state, you know, um, in the United States. So, 
going to be an interesting type of thing, but I'm sure um, Jeff Bezos will find something else to uh, to uh, excite America about over the next um, over the next uh, few months here. Let's hit the last topic here, and that is, and this is a really cool one. You know, quantum battery technology. It has the potential for charging EVs in you know three minutes. You know, um, again, there's lots of caveats, <laughs> provisos wrapped into that statement, but uh, it certainly has lots and lots of potential, which I think obviously would be welcome uh, once these type of um, battery charging stations using this kind of uh, or the battery technology itself shows up in cars. Uh, uh, Rob, let me start with you. Your thoughts on? Do you think this is something that we'll see? Uh, with the next we'll right phrase. I mean, yeah. the, the, this is why, like, I'm, I'm happy that our now, you know, like 12, 13 year old Toyota Prius keeps on trucking along because the longer I can wait to replace this, uh, the more battery technology and charging infrastructure will improve. Uh, I think at this point, it is probably more a matter of, you know, deploying the technology we have that works now. Um, you know, faster, really high-tech charging that doesn't work in all the cars already in the road and doesn't work in the charging stations already out there, maybe not so useful outside of like fleet uses. You know, if you could recharge a uh, bus or for that matter, a streetcar that quickly, you know, you could, that could do a lot for public transit and for the infrastructure around it. That's something to watch. Um, Long haul trucking. We'll have to see again. It's, you know, what effect will this have if you can only deploy it in a few places? And that points to more like fleet uses and not so much the mass market, which already, I mean, if you're looking at a hike up, what is it, uh, level three or whatever, it's pretty quick charge. It's not like, oh, you're going to have to wait for your Tesla to charge. It's, and by the time you're back up the car and you've adjusted the seatbelt, whatever, you know, you're back up to 8%. Stuart, your thoughts? Well, it, it was always very curious to me the the um, the logistical change uh, that EV would bring in a world where you could stop at a gas station and refill your car in like five five minutes, and the fact that you had to make sure that your car was charged at home and then go out, hope maybe to find um, a charging station somewhere out in the world in case you were going on a long haul, you had to plot your trip you know, to where the charging stations were. This technology has the potential to create a whole new class of gas station where you simply pull in, you plug in for three seconds or five seconds, whatever it's going to be, or, uh, and then you're on your own again. I think this completely changes the equation for a lot of consumers who may have hesitated because of the EV planning involved for charging. If they know they could just go out and stop at, you know, an Exxon station or, you know, um, or a Shell or, or just everyday Luca oil, um, you know, that they could just stop at a gas station and quickly refill their battery. I think that's a huge paradigm shift in the way that the mainstream consumer views electric cars. I think the biggest fear of electric cars now is I'm on the road and my battery dies. Yes. And is- I think that removes this entire that entire issue. And I think what if they manage to get this out there in, in ex- expeditious fashion, really change the paradigm. Now, EV range anxiety, which is, I think, the, the exact right. phrase that people like to use, is really the number one concern with people. I mean, cost is always always an issue as well, right. but you know, this could solve that. Now, 
very quickly, um, what, have you guys dived in into the cost implications? How does quantum technology compare? Obviously, there's, there's a scale component. Anytime you make something it's so far you know, out there, I mean, and, and it go, gets to a volume level, it costs. It, it's right. It's it's too far out. They're, the stories that I've read on this, they haven't even said when they think this will happen. That right now, it's still in. Oh, we can do it. You know, um, the point at which they will actually get it out into the marketplace. I wouldn't be surprised if it's five years, if it, you know, maybe even longer. That's just that just makes gets out, of, out of my put this in a consumer electronics context. When people talk about TV technology, oh, you know, Michael ID will change everything. Well, no, it won't because it'll take so long. Right. Yeah. Now, and the other advantage of this, if I'm not mistaken, we're talking about the battery technology itself. This, this would not necessitate a replacement of charging stations. The charging stations should be able to work with these quantum batteries. The, the, the battery composition technology is changing, but not the, you don't have to up uh, uh, replace every charging station across the country to support quantum batteries. Correct. I thought it was, I thought it was the other way around because from what I understand, the way the technology works is that right now EV batteries, which are comprised of multiple cells that the cells charge in sequence and the idea behind the quantum technology is a laser technology that charges all the cells simultaneously. That's where the speed is coming in. So I believe it is the charger, not the battery. But again, you could be right and I could be wrong. Yeah. Rob, do you know? Uh, Rob, John would know. <laughs> well, oh, we, we lost Rob. We just lost Rob. He was his audio was kind of was getting kind of funky here. Anyway, but I wanted to go back for a second on the Amazon thing really quick. Sure. Yeah, I sure. Think the nail on it said, "Did you see the Saturday Saturday Night Live bit that they did on the Amazon Go store? Where all no, the, oh, you have to go see this. It's hysterical. All the African American." Uh, performers on the show go into an Amazon Go and they said, oh, you can just walk out. And they're very distrustful and they think they're going to get arrested as soon as they walk out of the store. It's hysterical. It was a couple of, it was like a month or so or three weeks or so. You should definitely look it up. It's hysterical and plays directly to this. And I think people simply distrusted the whole idea of walking in and walking out of the store without paying for something, especially the African-American community. Well, right after I get off the podcast, I'm going to watch that because I generally do watch the first 10 minutes of uh, SNL right. because they generally do something pr relatively funny. Sometimes right. they strike out as well, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll have to catch Rob next time. He's probably off on his plane ride already, but um, thanks again. <laughs> thanks again, Stuart for surviving through the end of the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to join me for today and to our viewing and listening audience. Thanks for making the smart tech check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. If you haven't already, please make a donation to the Red Cross or your preferred charity to help the brave people of Ukraine in their time of need. And until next time, have a great week and uh, go uh, Yankees, uh, Stuart. Go Mets. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Mm -hmm.